<laughs> one of the groups last week I didn't record until we were way in. Um, <clears throat> so lecture second. Um, why is it important? Like we learned from the, the first lecture that there's three things that they're going to start off with, right? First, faith itself, what it is. Secondly, the object on which it rests. And then thirdly, the effects which flow from it. So the second lecture on the object on which it rests, why is this important for us to define out and um, really get a good grasp on? <clears throat> as we are progressing in our knowledge of faith. Here in uh, verse 2, uh, it tells us that our faith is on the object of God, which is kind of an interesting thing, right? It's not like in who is your faith, it's the object on which it, it rests. So anyway, why, why approach it in this manner and uh, what the, the purpose of, of lecture second is for us? <clears throat> I find very interesting as we approach the genealogies. <laughs> Sorry, my throat is <clears throat> acting up. But, um, let's see, what's my question there? I think, why, why do you think it is worded object in um, uh, verse one and two there? The object on which the, the faith rests when we're actually talking about a person. <clears throat> trying to find the oh it's right at the the end there and he is the object in whom the faith of all other rational and accountable beings center for life and salvation anyway i just found that interesting as i was pondering upon <clears throat> creation this last week and uh when things rest on others, um, how that ties into this principle of faith. Well, maybe before then people had faith that, you know, they had faith that the sun would rise. They had faith that certain things would happen. And those were all objects. They weren't people. Maybe, you know, maybe they weren't used to having faith in a person. They might've trusted in a person, something like that, but, um, and, and maybe not knowing the true character of God, you know, think about a couple hundred years ago, what did people think of when they thought of God? You know, this nebulous, you know, being or cloud or, you know, so they weren't thinking of it as a hymn. And so mm -hmm. maybe that's why, maybe that's why that, it, you know, God is the object. And then we go through and we define God, you know, in verse two, all the things we list out as characteristics. And as we go through all of that, you know, half, oh, sorry, halfway through, it says he is the father of lights, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, as we go through those things and then kind of let them know okay he's not an object he's man and he's our father and and he created all of these things and and so you know they've got to build from something and i think where they started was they're used to having faith in inanimate objects mm -hmm. yeah i like that um in the actual questions at the end uh tying back to that principle there so <clears throat> 
how do you prove that God has faith in himself independently? I found that such an interesting question to, to ponder this last week, because in the first lecture, we learn that faith is the principle that everybody acts upon, right? Everything predicates upon that. Even God has to act by faith. But here, it's interesting that we are proving that God has faith in himself independently <clears throat> and all of the implications there. So we prove that because he is omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient without beginning of days or end of life. <clears throat> and in him, all fullness dwells. And then we have those two scriptures there, one from Ephesians and one from Colossians. <clears throat> which is his body, the fullness of him that fill, filleth all in all, where it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. <clears throat> Sorry, I've got this frog in my throat. I don't know what's going on. <clears throat> but anyway, I I really love studying the, the omnis, right? The omnipotence of God, the omnipresence as we watched with arrival, uh, the omniscience of God. Those are quite powerful things to be all-encompassing in, uh, having a, a perfection of those three different um, characteristics. I kind of uh, take a look at that in uh, like a geometry type of perspective, right? Like in order to, to pinpoint a, a dot in a two-dimensional space, we have to have an x-axis, we have to have a y-axis, right? And then we can plot where a dot resides. But if we are trying to do it in a three-dimension, we have to have another axis. <clears throat> and I look at these three omnis as kind of the, the basis in order to plot out, I don't know, that's not the right word, but it, it math it is, right? To plot out a, a three-dimensional object um, instead of just having a very one-dimensional kind of view on things. And so looking at his omnipotence, his omnipresence, and his omniscience, <clears throat> I find very interesting in order to approach God taking a look at at those three and if you look at the word rest uh, you, you can rest on a three-legged stool but uh, you can rest on a four-legged stool too <laughs> but aren't you going to have when you have a four-legged stool you can have the imbalance with the um legs not being even but i think a three-legged stool you you can be okay um, I don't know. I was, when you were talking about that, the, the rest really, um, struck me about how he has confidence in his, um, in who he is. We don't worry about whether or not we can walk or balance or chew our food or, you know, any of the things that we <clears throat> do without thinking and how stressful and how how incapacitated we would be if we didn't have that innate confidence that that we can function the way that we need to in order to um, carry out what we need to do on this earth and to help bless other people. So 
I determined that I loved that word rest in a different way than <laughs> when you've been going hard all week and look forward to Sunday as a day of rest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I found that very interesting. Like one of the images that comes into to mind is, I don't know, back in science class with, um, I don't know, might've just been our teacher too. <laughs> I don't know if it was universal, but um, with a little like bird figuring and that its beak was resting on a certain fixed point and it would, it could float because of the, the bearings, uh, the bearing point of the bird kind of a thing. Um, <clears throat> Cause it seems to kind of defy gravity or defy the logic behind it. But when it's properly rested, that it can can sufficiently balance itself and so like what you said there with like the the three uh legged stool kind of a thing and being in a, a perfect balance <clears throat> i i like that with with these these omnis that resting principle and resting is probably like a good play on words the was the Webster Dictionary to find it as. Let me look that up really quick. I think that'd be an interesting one. Rest. Oh my gosh, there's so many different definitions. <laughs> there's some interesting ones to, to look through there. Um, so obviously the cessation of motion, um, quiet or, or repose, Sleep, peace, the final sleep, a place of quiet, any place of, of repose for support, poetry, final home. Anyway, there's a lot of interesting things to, to look at rest in different ways. <clears throat> um, so Lecture second used to not be my favorite. With all of the genealogies, I'd be like, oh, okay, whatever. <laughs> Just skip over all those, they don't matter. But why do you think lecture second, in order to <clears throat> really take into account the object on which faith rests, needs the genealogies of all the forefathers like what does it explain to us here and and what can we glean from that in our own search for faith and resting it upon proper objects well to me in a nutshell um i feel like i feel like as they laid out all of the genealogy and everything, to me, it just says that um, our faith begins as we lean on other people's faith, you know, because faith originated, it looks like, with Adam, because he had seen God, and then it you know, it talked about all of the others who had come after him, who had to develop their faith. I mean, they, they didn't see God until much later. I mean, they had faith because Adam had faith, and that's where they learned faith. And to me, it kind of explains that in 
30 and 31. I loved 30 and 31. The object of the foregoing quotations is to show to this class that by, the, by which mankind were made, were first made acquainted with the existence of God, that it was by a manifestation of God to man and that God continued after man's transgressions to manifest himself to him and his posterity. And notwithstanding, they were separated from his immediate presence that they could not see his face, they continued to hear his voice. Adam, thus being made acquainted with God, communicated the knowledge which he had unto his posterity. And it was through this means that the thought was first suggested to their minds that there was a God which laid the foundation for the exercise of their faith through which they could obtain a knowledge of his character and also of his glory. So, you know, it all started with Adam seeing God and, and knowing God and, um, face to face, and then with him teaching his family and his posterity. And then, you know, like he'd teach his children, his children would teach their children, their children would teach their children. And it all began with somebody leaning on somebody else's faith until they could grow and, um, gain enough testimony to see him face to face themselves mm -hmm. yeah <clears throat> i love that like the questions at the end um some versions are numbered some aren't but 144 says what testimony have men in the first instance that there is a god and the answer is human testimony and human testimony only that's that's it right i mean what are the scriptures to us it's human testimonies of the process the pattern of hey we tried it it works lean like it all comes back to to adam's story and um it's kind of like a you know like a, a priesthood lineage chart right like how did you get the priesthood i got it from him who got it from him etc but uh, what's your personal testimony chart who did you get it from and who did they get it from and it all goes back to to adam in the fact of his creation fall story and and how that all played out but we don't have anything unless we have human testimony and how important is that for us then the bearing of our own personal testimonies so that others may may come into christ through that as you know simple little missionaries go out and <laughs> try their hardest bearing simple testimony of of true principles and, and doctrine. Yeah, and it just reiterates how important, what did we just do today? Have our fast and testimony meetings, right? How important is that for us to be able to bear our testimonies and share them with others around us? Mm -hmm. How powerful that is. Yeah. yeah. And if we're going to bear our testimony, what is it that we need to share? Right? So many people get up and you know, they, they do all sorts of things, you know, a travel money or a health money or a, <laughs> a talk money, you know, whatever, you know, where, where do we need to, to focus? What do we need to testify of? Where, where does that rest? Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. 
So um, in verses 18 and 19, way back, <laughs> um, it, it's interesting because it talks about the two important items, right? The two things that we learn from this, um, from the account, right, of Adam and Eve in the garden. And I have other stuff about that, but these two first after man was created he was not left without intelligence or understanding so that's an important thing to know right and that god conversed with him face to face and the second thing is that um his transgression did not deprive him of his previous knowledge it wasn't the transgression that placed the veil you know it didn't place a veil over what he had learned since he had been human here on this earth we have a veil for our pre-existence, but there was no veil. So he remembered seeing God face to face, right? And though he was cast out, his knowledge of the existence of God was not lost. And neither did God cease to manifest his will unto him, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's the pattern. That's the pattern of, you know, that even though we can't see God, we can know of him. And God can make his will made manifest and made known to us so that we know what it is we need to do. Um, and then down in 22, he did call upon the name of the Lord. And so did Eve, his wife, also. They heard the voice of the Lord from the way toward the garden, speaking unto them. They saw him not, for they were shut out from his presence right yeah so. and i love what reiterates that with cain too in that principle of mm -hmm. you know <laughs> there's still communication there's still something happening even though transgression enters into the, the stage there yeah cindy i was just gonna say another thing to kind of think about and i don't know maybe you guys have some thoughts about this a couple of times it said in there, like uh, what Nancy shared, that the the transgression did not deprive him of the previous knowledge with which he was endowed. And then later in 20, it says his knowledge of the existence of God was not lost. So he had perfect knowledge, right? He had, because he walked and talked and communicated with God. Um so does perfect knowledge equal perfect faith? Did he have perfect faith? Do those two equal each other? Are they the same thing? Faith, faith ends when you have knowledge. When you have knowledge, you don't need faith anymore because faith but, is the belief in something that you don't know. But, but do, you, do you remember what it said in the first one though? that god worked and created everything by faith and are, aren't we taught that god knows everything he has a perfect knowledge of everything but he still used faith to everything create the worlds and all that everything else had faith in god okay it was faith right. in him not his not necessarily his faith he has perfect knowledge but everything in the universe has faith in God and that he will be just and he will be true to what he says he will do. Therefore, they obey. 
Okay, because for some reason I thought it said he had faith and that's why. Yeah, that's what lecture first is all about, telling that God works by faith. Even though he has knowledge, he still works by faith. Right, but by the faith of who? Whose faith? Yeah, right? I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Is the, the faith of all of the intelligences in the universe mm -hmm. that is still working by faith and he has faith in them that they will obey when he, you know, commands them. But he does have, because they all still have agency, but he commands them and they obey because they have faith in him. And he um, expects that because he has faith in them, I guess. But he has knowledge of what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. so, so to me, yeah, that that kind of, I don't know that reiterates that he he does have perfect knowledge so he does have so that equals perfect faith <laughs> mm -hmm. kind of um, i mean it's some, yeah. it's something to think about anyway mm -hmm. it's something that i would kind of thinking about yeah i like that well, perfect faith is knowledge right maybe mm -hmm. I guess Maybe. this is why we go through lectures on faith more than once so we can gather more. <laughs> yeah. So a, a couple things in the in the Garden of Eden story. Mm -hmm. Um in in verse 16 and 17, where the Lord tells Eve, um, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In sorrow shall you bring forth children. The Hebrew word for those two sorrows, they're different. Mm -hmm. So the first sorrow is etzaban, um, which means pain or toil, otherwise known as work. So I will greatly multiply your work and and your conception. And then the other sorrow, in sorrow you shall you you shall bring forth children. The sorrow there is etzab which means hurt, pain, toil, or turmoil. So what is greatly being multiplied is not the pain, it is the work. And the, um, the pain is how she will bring forth children, which we know that, right? The travails of childbirth. But the Lord's not saying, I'm going to greatly multiply your pain because um you've done this thing so that's an important thing to remember mm -hmm. and in verse 17 um when the lord talks to adam and it says you shall not eat of it curse shall be the ground for your sake in sorrow you shall eat of it all the days of your life right that sorrow is the same sorrow that is greatly multiplied for eve which is work not pain, but work. So they're both told you are now going to have a lot more work you're going to have to do. <laughs> and, and Eve, when you bring forth your children, it's going to hurt. Right? She did. <laughs> yeah, she, she goes, thanks a lot. <clears throat> right? Um, but also Adam, Adam was told, you know, in sorrow, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. And that really stood out to me. Um, all the days of your life, not uh, just work until retirement. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, isn't that a, that is one of those Babylonian ideas that we have, that we have uh, accepted from the world that I only have to work until I've made enough money that I can retire, whatever age that is. If I can retire, then I don't have to work anymore. But what does the Lord tell us? We have to work. And we're supposed to work because work is what teaches us and helps us to grow. Yeah. I love that. Um, Can you say those two Ezers again or the Etzers? The the two sorrows? Okay. The first one is Itzabon. Itzabon, okay. It's a bone, which um, is the first sorrow. And the second sorrow is et seb. Just et seb. Okay. Et seb. Because it was reminding me of back in our Abraham days with the etzer connecto or whatever that he kept bringing up. Um, But I had never taken the time to tie all of those in so i went back in i think i looked it up in strong's or something to see what the hebrew word was and see what it meant and saw that they were two different ones and i wrote down the print the phonetic pronunciation of both of them mm-hmm. in my book so that i would know and what the meanings were yeah interesting how that ties in there well and it's something that people misunderstand all the time because they just read sorrow sorrow and sorrow and think it's all the same i know like you lose so much if only studied english (laughs) study some of those original roots there lost in translation yeah um Um, Another thing, and the as it goes on, it talks about how they um, did sacrifices and called on the name of the Lord and everything. Right, right. In verse twenty-five, it says, um, "No sooner was the plan of redemption revealed to man, and he began to call upon God, than the Holy Spirit was given, bearing record of this Father and Son." So there's your three-legged stool again, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, you know, they didn't, the, the plan had to be presented to them. And in the plan, it's like, yeah, you transgressed, you, you're now in a fallen state, but we got a plan for that. And here's the plan, um, you know, and as soon as that plan was presented to them they started calling on the lord and they didn't understand why right which is why the angel came and said why are you doing this i don't know i was told to right and so then it was explained to him some more but um you know once they knew the holy spirit was given to testify of the father and the son now he still had the memory of the father and the son right yeah but all of his descendants didn't adam and or all of their adam and eve's um posterity did not have that 
personal knowledge. They had to go on the, the witness of their father and their mother, mm-hmm. which I think is why you get all of, like we, like you said earlier, why you get all of the, the genealogy so that you can see. Yeah, exactly. So like piggybacking off of that with where it goes into Kane's story and I guess like my question that I would pose is to what extent do we misinterpret our transgressions and well after a transgression our interaction with deity right because sometimes we mistakenly kind of go okay there's a transgression there's a sin I'm I'm completely cut off there's no more heavenly help in any way shape or form you know that's kind of the the elementary uh wrong way to look at it but that's what the adversary wants you to believe because Mm -hmm. if you will believe that then you won't bother calling on the lord you won't bother trying to repent because you will think that you're cut off but the story of cain shows that he wasn't cut off just because he murdered his brother right Mm -hmm. which is a pretty big transgression (laughs) you know Um, So that just shows that even in that case, he wasn't cut off from being able to converse with the Lord, right? Yeah. You know, he had had experience with conversing with the Lord before. He knew that his father had seen the Lord. He had no reason to believe that the Lord would not answer him. There's his faith, you know, even though Cain had just done something really heinous, he still had faith that had to be honored because that you know that's what he he was a you know he had faith that the lord was going to answer which he will from anybody but you know if we listen to the um whisperings of the adversary that tell us you're not worthy he's not going to listen it undercuts our faith it introduces unbelief and then that's why things don't happen yeah it's like amazing how we can take a transgression and then just greatly multiply the the ramifications of it to a weird extent that it was never intended to like repentance is all about like okay lesson learned now come back and we'll we'll regroup and and regain the blessings and stuff um you know we with our transgressions sins and stuff like we do offend the the holy ghost right like he withdraws for a time on in in certain circumstances right but um the fact that adam and eve coming out of the garden um they they receive the holy spirit bearing record of father and son to to make sure that that line of communication stays open hey they're still there they still love you testifying of truth kind of a thing and and how that plays into to Cain's story after that and it, i find it very interesting taking a look at um god's interaction with both adam and with cain you know who told you that you were naked like where are you going and then going with cain why is thy countenance fallen you know like these are very important questions in their journeys like god obviously knows everything but like he's asking them so that they can put their faith into action and have it be for their their benefit on the who told you you were naked thing 
Um, hold on. This, uh, again, I'm going to put in a plug for this book. <laughs> um, the video of his presentation to Sisters of Liberty was posted two days ago. So if you want to watch that, it was actually just a recording from Zoom. But um, that will that will um, help you with if you want to hear that. But all right, what was I just saying? I picked it up before I gave the plug. <laughs> oh, the the where the where are you? I told you that was. I who told you that was naked? Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm trying to find it. Um. I wonder if I actually, okay. If our, if we believe that we have light, right? Um, commiserate with our level. If they were living a terrestrial level, then they had light, right? But once they fell, they no longer had the light. And so there were some translations that said, where is your light? Not necessarily, where art thou? But where is your light? And so if you look at it in that, in that, um, in, in that sense, it's not the Lord going, where are you? I can't find you. It's the Lord asking that rhetorical question to adam what happened to your light mm -hmm. where art thou and and then he said well i hid myself because i was naked who told you you were naked <laughs> you've been naked all this time who told you you were naked and he wasn't really naked until the light was gone right mm -hmm. and so then they had to be given the coat of skins to cover the fact that they don't have the light and that's, that's where we are. Um, there's a, oh, here it is. There. Um, it, that's on page 12, but they don't have the book. Anyway, you know, the Ayeka, the Hebrew, where art thou? Or in Hebrew, Ayeka, meaning literally, where is your light? So, um you know, that loss of light still affects us today. And that's what we're trying to regain, right? Is the light, the more light we accept, the more light we radiate. Um, if you reject the light, then the light goes away and you become darker and darker. I mean, you can see that in people's eyes. You know, you can you can almost see into their soul and see, oh, wow, that's, they're a really dark, dark, you know, person. And so you have that kind of thing. Um, but I'm there's there's an education week class that's all about light and energy and finding God in the light. It's, it's that first one that we're taking at eight thirty in the morning in the mm -hmm. um, in the fine arts building. So I'm really looking forward to that in conjunction with what I have been studying here with this. Yeah. Um, you know, so you have you have that that light. Mm -hmm. So um, anyway, uh, <laughs> it took us off on yet another tangent. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. Because yeah, that, that totally, um, 
ties all of that to, together in the in that light principle. Um, I think it was Tracy that that shared that video with me. You know, but he was posted around in different places. But um, the the light that our bodies actually emit light, even our eyes emit light and and things. And to have the fall and the Lord going, where's your light? Like I clothed you with light. I gave you an initiatory. Like the the garment wasn't the first garment that Adam and Eve received. God originally gave them garments of light when they were first um, married. And so as we, we see that, where, where did, where'd your clothes go? Where, where's your light that we mm-hmm. clothed you in? I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Leslie's Leslie. got her hand up. I'm laying down, so I'm not going to have my camera on. <laughs> you guys have that luxury. I'm, <laughs> I'm saying I'm going to pass out on that couch. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> um, Um, I'm trying to figure out if, if it's even possible. Um, the, the, the brighter, let's see, let's say the more light that somebody has, let's say on the other side of the veil, the less we can see them, I think. <laughs> watching Cameron's face. <laughs> well, I've never necessarily thought about that. So like the greater the light, the more transfiguration we need in order to even perceive it. Yeah, the more light we need in order to. So I'm just, I'm just, as Nancy was talking, I was thinking about that because you would think the more light that they have, the <laughs> it'd be easier for us to see, but not so. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm just, just was thinking of that. And um, like kind of taking the the principle of the sun, right? Like, I mean, you just can't look at it straight on. It's too much light kind of a thing. Unless there, there is a a light to to match it and and be within it. Our our fallen eyes can't, can't see it and can't tolerate it. And that's why you have to be transfigured in order to be able to tolerate it or if you are a translated being there's a less of a difference in the light you know if your eyes are already adjusted to the bright sunlight uh, a little bit brighter light doesn't seem like all that different but you come out of a dark room into the bright sunlight and you're like oh my gosh I can't see yeah that's is that what you're talking about I I don't even know All I know is we sneeze when we go out into bright light. So, (laughs) (laughs) sorry, I'm feeling a little punchy here. So, it's interesting though, because on my last temple shift, I went, I was serving in the baptistry, and and my next post was up in the celestial room. And so, I mean, it's just like short little stairs in between it. And it's like, oh, I mean, it was just so impactful that I I had a hard time kind of like adjusting right off the bat. it was even though i mean i'm not talking about sunlight or anything major or whatever but i mean there was a, a definite difference um in just going straight to the, the celestial room there yeah and i wanted to say on the little thing about light think about sunglasses how everybody wears sunglasses but we really should kind of stop wearing them because mm-hmm. we need our eyes to be able to take in all the light we can 
And that was something that was just like an aha, like, cause I was always in my sunglasses and now I, I leave them off. And then I, I meditate a lot of light in too, mm-hmm. as I'm thinking about it when I go walking in the morning. Yeah. Somebody introduced me to that principle of, I, it, there's a documentary that's called eat the sun or whatever and uh about sun gazing and uh the the benefits of of those things even though we're not like looking directly at the sun right like you're doing different things but yeah very similar process like the lord told me straight up stop wearing sunglasses those are those are not good um in your blood filters through your eyes and it it, every 15 minutes your entire body so um, you your blood is partially cleansed by the sunlight that's coming in if you are allowing it in it's interesting interesting that we have to allow it we have to not block it and how much of the the god's gifts for us is he he says let allow you know you get it if you don't block it and so Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like the sun. It's always there. And as long as you don't block it, it's always going to be interesting. So um, on verse 34, in verse 34, it tells us the steps to returning to the presence of the Lord. Did anybody read those as steps? Start off. God became an object of faith among men after the fall and what it was that stirred up the faith of multitudes to feel after him, to search after a knowledge of his character, perfections and attributes until they became extensively acquainted with him and not only commune with him and behold his glory, but be partakers of his power and stand in his presence. So you feel after him right? You, that's kind of like you're in the dark and you're just feeling, okay, I know he's out there somewhere. Then you, because you can feel after him, you're searching. And what are you searching for? His character, his perfections, and his attributes. What has President Nelson been telling us the last couple of years that we need to learn, right? That we need to be able to learn of his character, perfections, and attributes. Then we become extensively acquainted with him. And then when we commune with him, we hear him perhaps. And after that, we can behold his glory. Once we behold his glory, we can become partakers of his power and stand in his presence. I love that. And then, you know, like (laughs) sometimes, you know, when we're just learning to use our training wheels, we're just going to the endowment, like, okay, we just know we should be here kind of thing. But looking at the pattern, right? It's all about coming back into his presence. Well, it all has to do with what we talked about at the beginning too, where, um, you know, we rely on somebody else's faith. And then by doing all of those things, that's how we develop our own faith 
until eventually we can stand in his presence. Mm -hmm. So it just kind of comes back to that same, same uh, concept. Yeah. And it's, it's the same thing, you know, about the, the light and it's greater and greater until the perfect day. Right. Yeah. It's all about light. <laughs> it is all about light, which is why I'm so excited about that class on light. <laughs> I'm excited for him. <laughs> um, and then I, I really like the last question. Uh, well, like second to last, I guess. Is the knowledge of the existence of God a matter of mere tradition founded on human testimony alone until persons receive a manifestation of God to themselves? It is. I mean, that's, that's the whole crux of it. <laughs> Where it's human testimony. We, I don't know, it, I, I'm not speaking for everyone, but for me, human testimony was just not very essential or you know like I don't know I menospreciar I just kind of wrote it under my my foot kind of a thing but everything depends upon that human testimony in order to to start the path in in growing in that light <laughs> mother you have such a weird look on your face I just read Tracy's saying that she wants yeah. to hear more from Darlene. So I looked over at you and you're like, <laughs> <laughs> you're muted, by the way, if you are trying to talk. I just always love hearing what Darlene has to say. <laughs> um. Yeah, I don't know. I what kind of funny look did I have? Like, because I I'm dealing <laughs> with my nervous legs and body and some kind of rock. I'm trying to. I should, probably should have actually turned my video off. But anyway, I don't have anything right now. It's all good, but um. I love on the lecturesonfaith.com uh, website, he puts this chart in there for um, lecture second. Um, so taking a look at all of the calculations, all the genealogies and, and, and things, um, that we have two distinct time periods that it talks about, where did it say that? I don't know. Anyway, there's one of the the sections and one of the questions that says, how do you do it? And it says two distinct periods from Adam to Noah and Noah to Abraham. And so um, we see here that Lamech, Noah's father, is the last one. Everybody up until then uh, has personal interactions with Adam, receives their testimony from him. And then that flood is, is a huge transition of ages, of testimony, of, of all that kind of stuff. And then we see um, from Noah down to Abraham, how much, or the kind of the pattern of um having testimony passed on kind of a thing anyway i thought this chart was very handy i printed out and put it in my lectures on facebook um to kind of get an idea of the power that you know like rubbing shoulders with adam how would it be to 
basically received the endowment from Adam himself who lived it and uh, his testimony of God and his approachability and everything, you know, but uh, again, this is just the line of the patriarchs, you know, there's, there's other siblings uh, throughout here, uh, whether they're, they're righteous or, or not, but uh, they all have the same uh, access to Adam in, in that first kind of set of generation. And we see many different people getting translated and um, parting the veil in lots of different ways. I mean, they're, they're accessing God is the main point of um, those generations there. It's interesting on that chart that Noah is the first one who didn't know Adam. Yeah. Right. If you look at that and then Abraham is the first one who didn't know Noah. Yeah. So it really is powerful. Um, like that thing, are you going to play that again uh, of Wilford Woodruff? Oh, I can't. Testimony. Because that's of our day. I mean, a testimony that puts us pretty close to Joseph Smith, you know. Mm -hmm. it is it makes it more powerful I, that human testimony is such a a strong thing yeah i kind of forgot that <laughs> i said that i was going to i just anyway let's face it but um the first time that uh this wilford woodruff testimony was played for me in institute i was like what we actually have a, a audio recording of a prophet who was with Joseph Smith in the last charge meeting, like receiving these things from him and, and testifying of it. I mean, it's one thing to have it written, but for some reason that audio just like stuck with me. And then um, when we talk about that, one of those last questions here, um, that it's human testimony and human testimony only. When I read that line, I, my brain immediately went back to that audio recording of, it, it's the same, like, Adam to to God as Wilfred Woodruff to to Joseph Smith that that powerful testimony that's being uh, shared there. So yeah, let me pull this up really quick. And Wilfred Woodruff speaking on March nineteenth, eighteen ninety seven. Thank you. 
Oh, yeah, let me get a link to it really quick. There you go. Um, but yeah, I I don't know why that, that hit me so strongly back when I was in my institute years, but, um, well, I mean, I guess I do know. But um, the fact that we're not that distantly removed from Joseph Smith, that um, you know, sometimes it, it seems like there's a long time, like, oh, pioneers, that's so long ago. Um, but having an audio clip of Wilford Woodruff, who, oh my gosh, since then, I've really come to, to love Wilford. And uh, taking a look at his testimony of receiving his endowment um, and the, the information from the last charge meeting there in Nauvoo, um, direct from the prophet and you know his description he stood on his feet for about three hours his face was as clear as amber and like just some interesting powerful testimony and uh, coming back to here what testimony have men in the first instance that there is a god human testimony and human testimony only um that joseph smith seen the father and the son and He's so excited about it that he's trying to uh, help the others receive the same blessings, the same gifts. All of the prophets, Moses, I mean, we have so many different um, examples where they're receiving these things and then like going to everybody else. Hey, here's the pattern. I've tested it out. It works. Uh, I just love that. 
<laughs> I think it's such a powerful witness for us. Um, anything else from, from lecture second we didn't touch on or Sorry, um, off my notification. There was one other thing that I that I wanted to share. Um, come follow me this week. We've been doing Job, right? Yeah. And I I was uh, in looking at your timeline there. I was I was pondering about Job. You know, he had ten kids, and all these things happened, and and then after afterwards he got 10 more and he lived another 140 years and you look at that long lifespan and I heard it might have been Jared Halverson said something about some people are positing that it might the book of Job actually might have taken place sometime between Noah and the Tower of Babel and so um, because there's no mention of Abraham, there's no mention of the Torah, there's no mention of Israel or the law of Moses or anything like that. None of that was even mentioned anywhere in the book. And so um, if that was indeed the case, um, that would explain a lot of things, right? Because we don't know where the place is and um you know, he, and he lived so incredibly long. We don't know how old he was when all of his children were killed, mm -hmm. right? And then he was able to, you know, live another 140 years after his trial was over. So um, that was just a, I was just looking at the ages of all of the people on your chart and thinking, oh yeah, Job would fit into that nicely at a couple hundred years old, um, yeah. you know, between the flood, because everybody was like 900 before the flood, right? But after the flood, it started to get a little bit, you know, and it it might have been be just before Peleg, you know, when the earth was divided, right? Mm -hmm. It might have been before that. It might have been after that. That's about the right time frame. You know, he, he could have been older than that even. So, you know, you might have had um, somewhere between Eber and and Peleg yeah. since he was you know from the east they just said you know he was the you know richest man in the east as if there's there's one big mass of, of land so mm -hmm. just a just a little side um <laughs> just another one of those little things that came to me this week <laughs> oh, uh, this is what happens when you're reading like six books at once sorry folks oh man it's it's amazing how that happens though. Like I used to, my old way of thinking was you start a book, you finish it kind of a thing before you take on any other projects. Right. But now, I mean, I have such a testimony that sometimes when you're going all out and reading lots of different things at once, they all start to tie together. And that's how, at least for me, the Lord likes to, to teach me. He's like, okay, now take this principle from here and this one from here and look how they interact. And then now I'm going to lead you to this paragraph in this book. Like I have yet to finish a book this year, I think. <laughs> I'm all over the place. <laughs> but well, I just finished listening to one. But yeah, it, it's like everywhere I turn right now, I'm hearing things about lectures on faith. Yeah. 
It's everywhere. Right? Everything is referring to lectures on faith. I'm like, what? You know, even, even this book, I think, was referring to stuff on lectures on faith. This is one of the most footnoted books I have ever seen. There's like a hundred and some footnotes on every chapter. <laughs> you would you would have, oh, I'm sorry, there's only 97 in chapter one. <laughs> But there, you know, he makes up for it in chapter two, where there's 156. You want to study footnotes? Holy. Yeah. Anyway. I love it. Anyway, it's it, it's pretty cool. But... Yeah, it's going to be one of my things after book clubs. I'm going to take that one and uh, try and design with like Mariano's version. And um, what's this? I mentioned it here before. Anyway, take all three of those Zion viewpoints and, and study them from different angles at the same time. I think it's going to be a, a fun one. Add this one to whatever. Add this one. Uh, yeah, that's one of the, the three. That oh, okay. I'm... That's one of the three. Okay. Yeah. yeah. yeah I've got it. I just, <laughs> this week's not good. Already. Probably not the next week either because education week. But sometime, <laughs> education sometime. week. Yeah. I don't know if we're getting much sleep education. <laughs> no. Um, well anything else uh, lectures or otherwise so we have a bye week next week because of education um so we'll return on august 21st for lecture third and we have to figure out what we're doing monday for education week yes i will yeah, that's I'll our first that day of seminary seminary starts that day oh, yeah. <laughs> i remember those days wow are you doing early morning yep yeah yeah, yeah I did and that then the next years. week the next week we're taking my daughter to byu she starts yeah so. <laughs> all fun Crazy. then no, i'll be a true empty after education week yeah, the well, the first week of school, the first week of school and seminary is the 15th, the week of the 15th, the week of um, education week. And then the next week is the week we take my daughter to BYU. So they check in and have orientation and everything that week. And then BYU starts on the 29th. So, and then I will yeah, be a empty semester. <laughs> <laughs> they can't be there while we're all there for education week. <laughs> I know, I know, I can't. I have to teach seminary that week. <laughs> oh, wow. All right. Well, anyway, yeah, we'll see everyone in a couple of weeks, if not sooner. <laughs> Alrighty. All right. Have, have fun. Great one, everyone. See ya. Bye.